It's good to be reminded of where ultimate authority lies. It's good to be reminded where our hope comes from, isn't it? It's good to be reminded of what is true. Um, and we get to do that together. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it is a joy to uh, be able to worship together with you and just to see all of you. If you are looking for a seat, um, there are a few on the windowsill over here. There are four or five right up front. I promise that you're, this is a safe zone, um, and, uh, and so please make your way. If anybody needs a seat, our usher, usher team will help you uh, find a seat. Um, as I look around this room and think about that uh, need that we have for more space and the challenges of our space issues, it's just another reminder of the need for us to um, ask God for his help, to seek the Lord in prayer. And so um, we are going to continue, and and I say continue, for many of you, this may be the first time you've heard this, um, but we're going to jump into our study in the book of Acts. Uh, We spent much of last year in the book of Acts, and we're going to continue that in Acts chapter 18. But before we get there, as I think about this calling to prayer, this understanding of prayer um, and the need that we have, I look around this room, um, it is something that we are desperate for God to help us with, to give us wisdom, to give us direction. And so um, we are committed, our elder team and our leadership and staff have just been committed to praying this year and focusing on prayer and seeking the Lord. And um, I want to remind you of something I've told you about a couple times now um, and invite you to please make sure this is on your calendar. Uh, you will get a text message at the end of uh, our time together. If you have any sort of communication with our church, um, that's one of the good reasons to sort of register, go by that welcome booth, make sure you get our communication. But it will be an invitation to join us for our evening prayer coming up on February 1st. Um, And it's in that service on February 1st where we are going to commit and launch into 30 days of focused prayer as a church family, uniting our hearts around prayer and asking God uh, for his help. We're going to spend time seeking the Lord, just asking his presence to be felt in our lives, both personally but also corporately. We're going to ask the Lord to give us his wisdom as we, again, try to navigate many of the challenges of a dramatically growing church and how to disciple and care well for all of you. Um, Last weekend, we had an amazing weekend as we celebrated D-Now, but just the students that were a part of Disciple Now weekend, the reason that we go to the Performing Arts Center at the high school is the students alone wouldn't fit in this sanctuary. We don't have space even for our students uh, when they're all together gathered in one worship setting. And so I'm trying to ask God how uh, we can make room and the provision that is required in order for that to happen is all part of this season of prayer that we are entering into. And so I want to plead with you. Um, You're going to hear me say this multiple times. You're going to get a lot of communication about this. Um, I intend to overwhelm you with a call to prayer. Um, and, uh, and so please um, just make a point right now. Again, put that on your calendar, February 1st, six o'clock. We will have dinner together as a family. Uh, then we'll move into this sanctuary um, at seven o'clock for prayer. And uh, wouldn't it be amazing if in our prayer gathering, when we come together, that we wouldn't fit in this room and we had to overflow into other spaces in the building to pray? Wouldn't that be an amazing reality? I am asking God that he would do that. He would unite our hearts in such a way, knit us together even now in these next couple of weeks to say, we're going to commit to being together in prayer. Um, and then from that day forward, uh, we will provide for you a daily prayer where our church can all be praying the same things and uniting our hearts um, in the days ahead. With that, again, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 18, again, picking up in our study in the book of Acts. If you have not been with us in the book of Acts, I invite you to go back. You can go wherever there's a podcast is found. 
around and um, you can uh, find old messages and kind of catch up with us if you'd like, but I'll give you just a real very quick 30-second summary, the TikTok version of, of, of Acts 1 through 17. Um, Jesus uh, presented himself as alive to all of his disciples and many, many other witnesses. He testified that he was the Christ. He proved that he was the Messiah, having been raised from the dead three days after laying his life down on the cross. That's what we pick up in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' ascension, his resurrection and ascension to the heavens. He then sends his Holy Spirit to ignite the flame of the church, and the church is born, and through the Holy Spirit, God moves and begins to send his people all over the world, and city by city, through Paul, through Peter, through other great saints, people are coming to faith in Christ, and the church begins to explode all over the place. Missionaries are sent around the world. And where we pick up here this morning in Acts chapter 18, we are joining Paul on his second missionary journey, his second of three journeys that he went on to take the gospel all over the world. He traveled, as you heard, students heard this uh, last Saturday night from Pastor Tim as part of our Disciple Now weekend. Paul traveled 10,000 miles on his missionary journeys, and he did that all, by the way, on foot. 10,000 miles taking the gospel around the world. In Acts chapter 18, we pick up and he's going to be in a place called Corinth. I have a map of that for you. Um, and you can see this journey. Corinth is right down there in the bottom right-hand corner there on the Isthmus of Achaia. And uh, you see Sincre, which is one of the cities that was on, or one of the sort of gathering points on each side of this major city called Corinth. And we're going to see Paul arrive in Corinth to preach the gospel, to take the hope of Jesus to this city that was an amazing city, a city, uh, an ancient city, of course, but in that day, that city was only about 100 years old and was one of the major cities in the world. The interesting thing about what we're going to look at, Luke records about Paul's ministry in Corinth, a very short passage of scripture. In other cities, we've heard, we've seen whole chapters given to what Paul did or the ministry of the disciples as they went out and sharing the gospel. Here in Luke chapter 18, it's a rather short description of what Paul did in Corinth, and yet it's one of the places that Paul spent the most time. As you'll hear read in just a moment, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. We know that he did a lot of ministry there. We also know that his heart for that church was very, very deep, and there was a lot of challenges in that church. We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians written to this church that he planted here on this second missionary journey to actually deal with a lot of the challenges that came up in the church because it was such a worldly city. So that is the place where we're going to pick up. If you're able, um, out of reverence for God's word, would you stand as I read from Acts chapter 18? After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. He, his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for our brother Luke, who you use to preserve this word so that we might learn from you, we might grow in obedience to it. We might be served by it, we might be encouraged, exhorted, corrected, taught. Holy Spirit, would you do what you intend to do um, through it right now? Our hearts, we yield to you, Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a phrase, it's made popular by one of my favorite TV shows, and it was a phrase that was used to, in the TV show, to sort of gather the attention of one of the characters. If uh, one of the characters was getting a little bit distracted from focus or distracted away uh, from what he was supposed to be doing, another character might grab him, or as the characters were about to engage in some, some sort of a big event, they would say to one another, they would use this phrase, clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. Friday night lights. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And they would gather the attention as they went onto the football field, or they would gather the attention as there was some sort of drama that was happening in the midst of the friend group, whatever it might be. And they would use that to say, listen, we know what is about to happen. We know what we're going to do. We know what we're supposed to do. We can't lose if we do those things. Our eyes are clear. We can see exactly what we're called to do. Our hearts are full of what we know is true, and we cannot lose. Well, if anybody was going to say that and say it, most truthfully, more than any character on a TV show, it would have been the Apostle Paul as he comes to the city of Corinth with clear eyes, full heart, knowing that he cannot lose because he is being faithful to what God has called him to be and doing the work that God has called him to do. One of the challenges that I see so often in our lives as Christians is this division of our hearts. Our students spent an entire weekend last weekend talking about this theme, about being undivided, but having hearts that are completely unified and united on the work and the life that God has called them to. And so often we silo our lives in such a way that we have these great partitions and this is one area of our life and here's another area of our life and here's another area of our life. And in some ways, maybe we put Jesus in one of those silos and he just sort of stays there and Sunday mornings stay there and our Bible study time stays there. But there isn't this pervasive sort of unifying thought of who we are and what we are called to do. Paul goes into Corinth with great clarity around this mission. And it's an encouragement and a reminder to us of how we are to live with a heart that is completely united to Christ and united to the mission and the calling that he has given us. You can imagine Paul went into Athens and Luke recorded for us Paul's response, his grief over the condition of the city of Athens as he saw all of the idols all over the city. Well, when he came into the city of Corinth, Luke doesn't tell us much about Paul's response other than what he intended to do, but you can know that Paul's heart was just as more than likely just as deeply grieved as he saw a city that was so worldly, so immoral, so lost, so desperately in need of Jesus. See, as I showed you on that map, Corinth was a port city, a major city of trade and commerce. It was a city 
that was completely used and are used for, for all the things of the world. And you can see, if I, I should have zoomed in on this for you, but there's this little piece of land. And so the ships would come all the way around the corner of Athens where that purple or pink line is, excuse me, and they'd land on one side of the water. The ships would actually be picked up and traversed across the land and set in the other side of the sea. And so you have a great number of people coming there. This is a city that was very, very, a major, major city, an important city. It was also the first sin city. It was a city that was extremely immoral. In fact, there was a phrase that was known in Paul's day, to live like a Corinthian. It was used as in their common vernacular, to live like a Corinthian was a phrase that meant to live a completely immoral life. And so this is what Paul steps into as he brings the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is also why 1 and 2 Corinthians is filled with so many challenges because he is dealing with the people who have come to faith in Christ, a new church, but their lives are really, really messy. Their lives are messy because of all of the baggage that they brought with them. And so Paul comes to this city, and he comes as he did in every city he went with one purpose, to bring the hope of Jesus. And we can see this in the way that Paul interacted, and it is instructive for us, the radical focus that Paul had. Notice it begins that Paul makes his way to Corinth and he finds these two, this married couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Claudius had sent them from Rome. The Jews had been exiled from Rome, sent out from Rome, and so they made their way from Rome. That was that green line that came down all the way from Rome there to Corinth. And he joins with them, and it says in verse, uh, in verse 3, or verse, the end of verse 2 and into 3, and he went to see them, this is Priscilla and Aquila, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. And what did he try and persuade the Jews and the Greeks to? He tried to persuade them that Jesus was the Messiah. He tried to persuade them that Jesus was who he said he was. But this focus, this attention, it's instructive. Why is it recorded in Scripture for us that Paul went to work as a tent maker? I think it's God's way of telling us and helping us understand that, yes, there are things that we do. We have jobs. We have responsibilities. There's things that we engage in. But Paul is a beautiful example of one that he did what he had to do to provide for himself, to provide food, to take care of his family. He didn't have a family, but to take care of the needs that he had. He did what he had to do, but his focus while he was doing that was on the ministry that God had given him. So many of us, as I said, in our temptation and sort of the way that we silo our lives, it seems a little bit cleaner, I understand, sometimes. If we can sort of do our jobs, we can have our family time, we can have our friend group, we can have our social gatherings, we can have our sports teams, we can have our schools, we can have whatever it is that sort of is some of the anchors or some of the things that we engage in in our lives, and we can come over to this side and we can have our spiritual lives, and we sort of keep those a bit in isolation, and we keep them separated and apart from one another, and our lives are completely disintegrated, and so what Jesus is calling us to and what we see here in Paul's life, he says, I've got to work. 
I've got to go make tents. I'm going to join with Priscilla and Aquila, and I'm going to do the job that I'm able to do, the skill set that I've been given. It's believed that Paul was raised in a city where tent making was sort of the, 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 the cloth that was used for tents specifically came from Cilicia, and that's where Paul was raised, and so that's where he probably learned that trade, perhaps growing up in that city. And so he was going to do what he had to do to provide for himself, but yet his focus was on the ministry. In one phrase there, he did work as a tent maker, and then he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Every break that he had, he took an opportunity to go and do what was his ultimate focus. Too often we treat our jobs, we treat our hobbies, we treat all those things. One, they take too much of a priority in our lives, or in other places they're too much, uh, we treat them like they're the enemy of our lives, that we, we despise our work. And we despise what we have to do. We'd rather be doing these other things. Or we love our work and this is all we want to do and we don't get involved and we don't have our lives again. They're not unified around one sole focus. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if everything we looked at, everything we did in our lives as an opportunity to bring glory to God, to do what he's called us to do? Paul would write these words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As they are disputing, he understands about the law and some of the food laws. He says to them, whether you eat or drink or whether you do, do all to the glory of God. We can do all things to the glory of God when we remember that his glory is our chief aim. In Colossians, he would say it this way to the church in Colossae, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And just a few verses later in verse 23 of that same chapter, whatever you do, work heartily, do your jobs well, work as unto the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. One of the great realities, we talk about God's sovereignty in this church all of the time. God is sovereign over all things, which includes your jobs, your hobbies, the things that you engage in. He's placed you there for a purpose. He didn't, take, he didn't say, hey, I, I saved Ryan to do this. I saved Johnny to do so, so that they, they could have life and they could have their hope in me. I'm not really concerned about this area of his life. I'll just kind of leave that up to him. No, God is over those things. He's involved in those things. He called you and brought you into those things. The key for us is remembering where our attention is. See, Paul's attention was on preaching the word. The emphasis of Paul's life was proclaiming the word of God. He worked, and we must believe that he worked hard. He did what he had to do to allow himself to continue the ministry that God had given him. Friends, I want to encourage you, when you head to work this week, when you head to that play group with other moms, when you students head out to school, when you head out to even dinner with your friends for a social gathering, when you head out to the Mavs game on Wednesday night, the focus of our hearts and minds should always be bringing glory to Christ. How do I go about in whatever I'm engaged in bringing glory to Christ, trusting that God has brought me into that place, that season, those relationships? Paul understood that Christ was all, and his focus was so clearly on that. We can see that further as we look down to verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul, what does it say, was occupied with the word. Occupied with the word. See, Timothy and Silas, it's believed that they brought with them an offering from the church. 
from the mother church. They brought some money so that Paul could maybe slow down on his tent making, was able to take a break from laboring, and he was able to even more fully occupy himself with the word. Here's the reality. This is one of those realities that our church is learning some ways the hard way. Everything costs money. We need money. We need resources. We need to give our resources so that we can continue the ministry that God has given us. And so Timothy and Silas, wanting to equip Paul to do that ministry that he had been given, they brought with him that church, wanting to rally our ministry, sent money, sent resources. And Paul was able to slow down on his tent making. And what did he continue to do? He didn't have to decide in that moment what he would fill that other time with. He was occupied with the word. When my sons were a little bit younger... Sometimes even still when they come home from college, they spend the holidays with us. I hear screaming coming from the other room. It's not because they're wrestling any longer. It's because they're playing some video game. I know how old I sound when I say some video game, kids. I apologize. I think it's called Fortnite. They're playing this game, and I'll just hear screams come from the other room as they're talking to one another on these headsets, and they don't know how loud they are. They are occupied with that. And if I go in to talk with one of them, I'll see, I'll hear a scream, I'll go and open up the door. They will have no idea that I'm even in the room because they are occupied with that game. There's things that occupy our hearts and our minds and our attention. May we be people like Paul who are occupied with the word. Once again, can you imagine in everything that we did, whether we're going to school, whether we're going to work, we're thinking about how can I apply God's word to this scenario, to this situation? I don't need to despise what I'm having to do. I don't need to despise that I have to go to this place. I don't need to despise that I have to step into these relationships. I don't need to despise even those things, whether they're fun or they're less fun, trusting that God is with us in that, that we're filled with his spirit and we go into those situations bringing an opportunity to glorify the Christ, to occupy ourselves with the word. We do that in the conversations that we have. We do that in the way that we act. We do that in the decisions that we make. This was Paul's focus. He was so radically focused on the ministry that he had been given. Each and every one of us has been given a ministry. Second Corinthians, Paul would say that we're a new creation. And in that new creation, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been called as ambassadors to represent Christ wherever it is that we go. As we do that, that must be our complete focus. That doesn't mean, again, the activities we engage in may vary quite differently. They may look differently. I think about many of the tasks and the things that I'm involved in that are even apart from City Church. And in every opportunity, not perfectly, but am I able to say, in this situation, how can I bring glory to Christ? How can I make sure that there's opportunities? And there's so many opportunities that we get to bring glory to Jesus. We have to have that as our focus. Because if not, we're going to get distracted. We get so easily distracted. And sometimes those distractions come from the internal And sometimes those distractions come externally, but whatever it is, if our focus is not there, we will get distracted and we will be thrown off of the mission that God has given us. Tomorrow I get the opportunity to take a few of you guys on a ski trip. We get to go join together skiing on a mountain. About 30 of us are going up to Colorado. It's going to be a great time together. And I've got a bit of a reputation as one who likes to go fast when I ski. It's been talked about and sometimes in our church and, um, 
And I do like to go fast. It is one of those things. I'm having to slow down a little bit. The knees are getting older. But as I try to head down the mountain, when I am going down the mountain, I am very focused on what I am doing. Um, it requires great attentiveness and what I'm doing to ensure that I don't die. I'm going to go really fast. I've got to be attentive to all the other skiers that go much slower. I've got to be attentive to the bumps in the snow. I've got to be attentive to prospective ice patches. I've got to be attentive to where my body is. I've got to be attentive to how my ankles are turning. And I'm thinking about all of those things very, very attentively in the moment that I look off to the left and I see that beautiful tree and the snow is kind of falling perfectly, yard sale. <laughs> I've learned this the hard way. And so you can know, yes, I'm going to go fast, but I'm going to be laser focused. And that, I, it requires that. I've got to be attentive to that. My safety, the safety of other people requires that type of attentiveness. As we go out into the world, can you imagine again just our lives completely focused on wherever I'm going, there's this distraction that's an external, there's this distraction that's bubbling up in my heart, these types of things. I'm laser focused on the job that I have been given, which is to bring glory to my Savior through my personal holiness, through the words that I speak, knowing that there's going to be many challenges that come against us. This was Paul's heart. This is the heart that we are called to have as we go out into the world. Because Paul would face, as we look to verse 6, we see that opposition is going to come. See, the enemy does not like what we're up to as we strive to bring glory to Jesus. Our flesh rebels against that. And so we have to fight against those things. And look at what it says in verse 6. And when they opposed him, this is the Jews that Paul went to to bring the hope of Jesus to. It says, and when they opposed him and reviled him. They hated him for the message that he brought. They rejected him. But the gospel was, was, was supreme and was over even that rejection of the world, that rejection that came Paul's way. Those two words that it says they opposed and reviled him, we can read over those words and they don't sound that violent, but you can know as we are going to read, as we read further, we're about to read further, uh, that they literally came for his life. They wanted to kill him. This is what they wanted to do with Paul. And Paul faced that rejection head on. How? Because he knew what he was called to do and he was so focused on that. Even their opposition, their rejection, the threat of his, their, his life didn't slow him down or stop him from doing the work that God had called him to do. And so when he faces that, it says at the end of verse 6, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And we see Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and all of the churches that would be planted as a result of this begin to take place here in the book of Acts. And it starts with this rejection. Even the rejection God used to bring more glory to his name as Paul was completely focused. He says, if you reject me, if you oppose me, you don't want to hear, that's on you. I'm going to keep going with the mission that God has given me. How often when we face that kind of rejection, that kind of opposition, we've just said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at this. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with one of your friends about Jesus? It didn't go too well. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't come to faith in Jesus in that moment, which, by the way, rarely happens. It usually takes some time. 
takes a longer time, some energy, some focus. And you have that conversation, and you kind of get dejected. You feel hopeless. You feel like, and you, what you begin to say, and what the enemy begins to whisper in your ear, you probably should just not talk about Jesus. You should let Ryan do that, because you clearly don't know what you're doing. That's a lie from the enemy, friends. Don't believe that. But that's what happens when we're rejected, when we feel that opposition come our way. Sometimes we shrink back. Paul didn't do that. He says, that's on you. By the way, he was remembering when he said that, that wasn't just Paul's words, he was remembering the word of God. You know where he got that? Ezekiel chapter 33. Son of man, the prophet says, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming in the, in the land, upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take the warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. The prophet says through Ezekiel what Paul quotes here in so many words He's responsible for proclaiming the word of God. He's responsible for telling. He's responsible for warning. He's responsible for bringing hope. He's responsible for saying Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Paul's responsible for. Everything else he's not responsible for, that's on them. God will take care of that. And Paul trusts in that. By the way, Paul learned that also. We can learn that also from Jesus. Do you remember what happened to Jesus? It wasn't just Paul who was rejected. Jesus himself, when he began his ministry, not misery, ministry, (laughs) went to his hometown of Nazareth. He opened up the Isaiah scroll. He read from the Isaiah scroll, which said who he was, the Messiah. And he says, today this word has been fulfilled in me. All of the religious leaders of the day hated him and reviled him and opposed him. How dare he say that he is God, even though he was God? And it says in verse 28, when they heard these things, those religious leaders, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So much wrath, they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him off the cliff. Right then, in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, they wanted to kill him. Jesus said, it's not my time yet, and so he went through them. They couldn't do that to him. But they wanted to kill him for proclaiming who he was. Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out to do what we've all been called to do. If you go into a city and you go into a place and they're not going to hear from you, if anyone in Matthew 10, it says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. And when you leave that house or town, essentially saying, it's not my responsibility. So often we get caught up in the results. We get caught up in what only God can do. It's the Holy Spirit who brings people to life, who raises the dead. We don't do that. We proclaim who the hope comes from. We proclaim where that life is found. We proclaim Jesus. And so we're going to face opposition. We're going to face those internal distractions. In all of these things, it requires radical focus and attention. We've got to be attentive. Jesus, knowing the trials that Paul was facing there at Corinth, again, it's given a short little space in our Bibles here, but some of powerful words. Jesus comes and meets with Paul. Paul sees in Corinth believers coming, it says, Crispus in verse 8, the ruler of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue, the religious leader, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
And Jesus, knowing how hard this ministry was, says to Paul in verse 9, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. Don't be afraid. Jesus reminds Paul that the ministry that he's been given came from him, and it is he that will do the work. He will be the one that is there. You simply, Paul, must not be afraid, must keep speaking, and remember that I am with you. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning. Don't be afraid. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If we're going to fear someone, if there's going to be a reverence for our lives, let us be people who are marked by saying, I am going to do and be who God has called me to be. Everything else can go away. My attention and my focus is on doing the work and the will of my Father. In the same way Jesus, our Savior, was completely focused on that. In the same way here we see Paul's attention to this ministry. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Keep seizing those opportunities to share the hope of Jesus Christ. In every interaction that you have this week, there's an opportunity for you to bring glory to Jesus. Sometimes I have these conversations and you say, what am I supposed to say? I don't know if I really understand how to share the gospel with someone. We preach the gospel because we understand what the gospel has done for us. So let me answer you in this way if that's been a thought of your mind. How is the gospel good news for you today? What has Jesus done in your life? What are those things that he's done that give you hope? That's the story that Jesus has given to you, the testimony of Jesus' work in your life. And when you really understand that, when you truly know the hope that Jesus has brought you, all you can do is share that with the world. And so as you go and you're saying to yourself, how do I share the gospel? How do I talk about Jesus? How do I bring glory to his name in the interactions that I have? You tell the story of what Jesus has done for you. I was hopeless. God had every reason and right He would be just to condemn me and forget about me forever. And yet, in his grace and his mercy and his kindness, he sent his son to die for me. That's what he's done for me. That's what he's done for many in this room. And that's the hope that I bank my life on, the hope that I have in him. And every day and every week, I see evidence of that reality. I'm not enough. I'm a train wreck. I don't have it all figured out. I got plenty of issues. I got challenges. I got sin. I got my flesh. I got the world. I got things that are always coming against me. And in every situation, I am not a man that is hopeless because I know I have the hope of Jesus Christ. I have Jesus. And because I have that hope, I can talk about that. You can talk about that in every interaction that you have. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking because Jesus is with you. Jesus promised that he is with you. He tells Paul, by the way, these words are in red because Jesus speaks these words. The resurrected Jesus is preaching to Paul in that moment. And the same resurrected Jesus is speaking to us today, says that I am with you. Jesus told us, I will be with you even till the end of the age. I will never leave or forsake you. Jesus is with you in those moments. And we can have confidence in that. The rest of this story in Corinth, before Paul returned to Antioch, 
saw this story completely unfold. Paul is told, don't be afraid, keep speaking, I am with you. And then a group was raised up to attack him. In verse 12, Galileo, the proconsul of Achaia and the Jews, they made a united attack on Paul. They brought him before the tribunal, it says. They brought him because they wanted to kill him. And almost immediately, the promise that Jesus made, don't be afraid, I'm with you, they can't harm you, was fulfilled. The proconsul says, that's y'all's problem, that's not mine. (laughs) I'm not doing anything with Paul. And so they went and beat this other poor guy because they couldn't beat Paul. It says that they seized Sosthenes in verse 17, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him instead. Just a reminder that people who reject Jesus, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the hope of God. We can't take it personally. When they can't beat us, they're going to go beat someone else. That's just the reality of the world. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking. Jesus is with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I pray now for my friends as we prepare to leave this place, go out into the world, to engage in whatever you have called us to, May we always remember your presence with us. May we remember the hope that we have in you, Jesus. The real power of your resurrection at work in us. Would you guard our hearts from fear? A fear that would cause us to stop. fear that would lead us to hopelessness. Let us remember who you are, Jesus. I pray for these dear friends that we would all experience your presence today. Help us to go into the world and proclaim your goodness. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh, you say.